Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today our guest is Lindsay, who is a commercial horticulturist with over 20 years of experience in the agricultural industry. A graduate of the Ohio State University's Landscape Horticulture Program, Lindsay started Wild Root Flower Company in 2016 as a way to share her love for nature and horticulture with her community. She shares her passion for natural, locally grown flowers with her customers through her on-farm workshops, farmers markets, and you pick events. Welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Hey, Michael. Thank you for having me. So talk to us a little bit about uh, a little bit of an overview of your farm. So you sell um, some flowers, but you also do a lot of events and workshops. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. um, So we sell, um, we do have farmer's markets and we do uh, some wholesale where we sell to grocery stores and um, other retail locations. But uh, my passion is really just sharing the horticulture world and uh-huh. with the local community. So um, we do that a lot through uh, on-farm workshops. We also do collaboration workshops with um, brewing companies. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we do farm-to-table dinners, and then also our UPIC events. And um, new this year, we've just started uh, our little sprout series, which is working with uh, kids. So. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So you have a, a long career in horticulture. Did you always know that you wanted to be doing something with uh, plants? Yeah. So I feel pretty lucky, honestly, when I was uh, younger, I, um, you know, had friends that were on a farm and I loved always being outside and kind of always loved nature. And there was a local greenhouse hiring and I got hired on when I was 16. And mm-hmm. I just remember thinking I there were adults working there, you know, and I thought, oh, that's so fascinating. Like you could do this for a living. And, you know, when you were in school and that impressionable age in high school and just trying to figure out what you want to do, Uh um, it just always seemed like a natural fit for me. And so um, I ended up going to Ohio State and getting a landscape horticulture degree. Over the weekend, we actually had some volunteers stop by the farm that wanted to fill their, um, their high school students that were trying to get their honors program volunteer hours. And so they were like, two of them were like, oh my gosh, I want to come back and volunteer one day a week. And the other one's like, I'm working at Subway and I hate it. And can I just come work for you guys? So yeah, I think people, if there was more farms and they understood that they could work on a farm and just the aspect of, hey, it's not always um, doom and gloom out there. It's always, sometimes it's fun working in the greenhouse or and all that stuff. It can be really exciting uh, that more people would be choosing that path. And I think it's to us as farmers to really give them the clear vision of what it can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was the importance for me starting with the little sprout series. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, it wasn't until I got a job at the greenhouse that I would have never found it otherwise, yeah. you know, and so, um, you know, they have at or they have the career days at schools and t- exposing kids, but we know we didn't have anything like that. I thought my options were to be a teacher or, yeah. you know, a nurse or something like that. So, um, you know, when I was there and I loved my job, I had great coworkers that were super encouraging. Um, so it really just, you know, I feel pretty lucky to, to have that. So I've been doing um, it since I was 16. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you got the, you did the horticulture degree and what would you say your top three takeaways from that degree would be that's helped you now in the field? Um, I thought top three. Um, I would say 
for sure, just the plant knowledge, you know, that was really, um, that has helped me so much and just having such a big exposure, um, you know, and, and carrying that now into the farming world. Um, it's, it's made me look at, cause we grow a lot of annuals. And so my background was perennial, you know, herbaceous material. So now I'm looking like, okay, how can we incorporate, no, you know, more herbaceous materials on the farm? So that means for us less labor, Yes. Um, you know, and, and all of that. So that would be one. Um, the hands-on experience I got, I worked for the Arboretum. I worked for OSU. Uh, oh, and wow. so that was just, you know, for me, that was incredible to be able to be in school and learn the plant material and then go out and work into the, the learning gardens. Um, and I also did tours with them. So it, it, you know, we were giving tours as students to people that were we were hoping to invest back into the Arboretum. So it gave me confidence in that way. Um, you know, and so that was a great thing. And then also, um, I think school just kind of piqued my curiosity with meeting other people, uh, you know, in, in the ag industry and seeing the exposure, there was floriculture, um, there were arborists that I went to school with landscape construction. So I don't know, it really just kind of gave me this broad, um, my, I minored in ag business. So, uh, you know, that business side of it now is, is crucial in running a farm and, and making it profitable. So Absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about starting the flower farm because you had the background in the horticulture. Did you have any bridge jobs or what kind of like, what was your next step along the path? Yeah. So I, when I graduated from high state, I moved to the Baltimore DC metro area. And um, prior to starting the farm, all of my jobs have been in the landscape horticulture side. So a uh, lot with landscape design. I did Victorian gardens, you know, a lot on the ornamental side. So um, I did, uh, I worked for a company, a, a high-end residential landscape design company in Columbus. So it was always sort of, I knew I hadn't hit the thing yet. You know, I every January I'd have coffee with a, a good friend of mine that went to horticulture school with me. And We'd say, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. Like, you know, what is it? What do we want to do? Um, and uh-huh. we both came in 2016 to each other and we both brought a flower farming book to the coffee date. And I was like, are you see- like, is this what we're doing? <laughs> you know. Yeah. So we both um, sort of just kind of fell into it, um, it right around the same time. And um, for me, the farming has just been, it's, it's really made a lot of sense to me. It gives me the creative freedom to, you know, teach people at the same time. Um, and then also expose people to nature and, and connect them to the outdoors. So, mm-hmm. and especially a beautiful side of nature. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I love the flower farming because obviously it's growing things and I love growing things, but the flower farm just adds that level of beauty. People just don't get that excited about tomatoes or lettuce. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So let's talk about, okay, so you had that idea, um, you took the flower farming book. What was that book actually? Uh, the Lynn, um, the Lynn Benzacane book. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, I read that one and I thought, okay, this is really, this is doable. Um, uh-huh. And interestingly, all through my entire career, even when I was 16, you know, working a high school job, everybody just always talked about how impossible it is to make money. I remember sitting in college and my professor saying, you know, if you're here to get rich, you're in the wrong place. And I kept thinking, what, what are, what has to be wrong, you know? So, um, you know, reading that book and then um, looking at, you know, how, how can I make this a profitable business? I think was uh, really what got me motivated to figure it out, find the solution. 
Yeah, I actually have exactly the same because I always grew up. You heard in the movies, you heard in the media, you heard in the books, farmers, farmers are poor, they can't yep. make any money. And, you know, I've seen the Smithsonian article with Joel Salatin that showed that, oh my gosh, down on the farm, things are a little bit different and you can make money off of it. Yep. Um, that was kind of the, the thing that jump-started us, even though we went very different from animals who went to horticulture and vegetables. Um, but yeah, that seeing that uh, a case study of, yes, you can be profitable. Here's some things that, that you're going to think, to think about to do that. Hugely important. Yep. So what was the first thing to start the farm? Um, so I started my first year. I took, um, I invested my own savings is how I got started. And um, I, I started, you know, fairly small and just sort of, um, I say I took money from anybody that would take my flowers that first yeah. year. You know, I read a lot of books, um, business books. I really am fascinated with the marketing side. So, um, you know, did some, did some research on that, but yeah, we just, um, tilled up some rows and planted seeds, started stuff and, um, sold at a market, uh, a weekday market that year. We actually started up a CSA the very first year, um, and did workshops. So we kind of, did a smaller version of what we're doing now um, throughout the for, throughout mm -hmm. the first year. So, very cool. All right. So, what would you say your top uh, business books during that period that kind of moved you, and the marketing books that kind of moved you along the path? Um, well, the one that I would say is the business boutique. In um, it's a yeah. that yeah she she has the Dave Ramsey right. Yes, yes. And so I read that in. Uh, I really, the, the takeaway from that book that I had that still sticks with me um, was separating your personal finances from your business finances. And yes. at the time, the lines were really blurred for me. You know, it was, it was my first year running a business. And so, ev you know, everything's new, everything's a yeah. first when you're doing it. And so um, I read that book. And when she said that, I was like, oh, this would make my life a lot easier. So from that point forward, I just started separating my personal finances, uh -huh. you know, um, even if I needed to run to Lowe's and it was like, oh, I only had my personal debit card, um, you know, making a very strong point to keep those things separated. And, and now that we've scaled the farm, I can't imagine having, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine having it, but that was um, that was probably one of my um, best, the probably the best book um, that I read for me as far as with business. Um, and I'm my name, it's slipping me the marketing book that I read. I'll have to circle back to that on you. All right, yeah, <laughs> if you can think of the author, then I might be able to find remember the book. Um, yeah. So with that, then separating your your personal and the business, are you incorporated? Are you a DBA or are you are an LLC? Yeah, I'm a sole member LLC. Okay. All right. Yeah. And we highly recommend folks set up either get that sole proprietorship or the LLC. If you're going for funding, outside funding, we find the LLC at the beginning can be a little bit of a challenge. Um, just be, but um, so that's sometimes where the uh, sole proprietor is a little bit easier for folks. All right. So you um, started with your own money and what would you say your takeaways from that first year were? And did, at the end, were you like super pumped or were you exhausted or were you thinking, I'm not sure I want to do this again. I was exhausted and pumped, I think, all at the same time. I, the, my biggest takeaway from that first year was really just um, giving myself some grace to <laughs> make mistakes. You know, um, I switching from the landscape side into ag, I felt like I, I had this pressure on myself that I needed to know it all, right? You know, so it was like, why is this not, you know, these these, we put in um, some plants and they just, they got fried. And I thought that should not have happened. And um, it, it took a lot of 
the whole year for me to really kind of chill out and just be like, this is the first time you've done any of this, you know, it's the first time you've, um, you know, till, you know, been farming on a large scale. I always had a personal garden, but to have it and also then to have a CSA and have this pressure that it actually put on me. Um, but yeah, at the end of the season, I was like, you know, my whole goal for the first season was just to make that money back for the first year. And we did more than that. And I thought, okay, I've got, I've got something. So, um, the interest was there and also just getting people to, you know, educating people on what we even were, because still, um, five years later, people are used to greenhouses. So they think we grow hanging baskets and, and really educating people because uh, truthfully, people don't know where their food comes from, let alone flowers, you know, so that's something that I've been trying to, uh, to educate people on. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So then when did the workshops start coming into this? Um, I did workshops the first year. Um, I did a, a um, handful of them, but we've just continued to sort of grow that. And I have some, you know, kind of more long-term goals where I want to pull that horticulture side into the business. Um, and when I started the farm, I didn't want to call it wild root flower farm. I, I intentionally named it flower company so that I could sort of make this branding a little bit different, you know, so that we could incorporate later on, um, an educational piece and it not just be, you know, wow. fine tuned into to farming, but, um, yeah, so they've just kind of continued to expand and, um, we're, we also do things like, so we have a lady coming to do macrame pot, you know, planting mm. this year. So it kind of grabs a different market. Not everybody's super interested in flowers. They're more into the ambiance of the, the farm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we try to get a different, you know, group of people there too, by doing those. And the barn you've got pictures in, is that the, the, the beautiful, uh, posted beam? Is that your barn? Yeah. Yep. That's oh, our nice. barn. So yeah, beautiful. with the Originally, this farm was um, a dairy farm. And okay. so, uh, yeah, so we've done a ton of work. We're still working on it. As you know, it's over a hundred year yes. old farm. The work never stops. Um, but we've been, um, our studio space is in there now. So where we process our flowers and and have that um, is all in that barn. And then our workshops are on the other side of it. So nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, we actually have a, a, a tour slash workshop coming here this uh, next week. And uh, they were saying, well, what if it rains? And we're like, well, we can go in the greenhouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, unless it's raining really hard and then you won't be able to hear anything. But uh, a, a space like that is something that we actually lack. We have a barn, but it's full of stuff. So figuring out you know, where to put all that so we can get people in there is, is going to be, yeah, because I think the classes size is is going to be really key. And I think the thing about classes too is we found that when we got people to our farm, they were 100% more of a loyal customer because they now understood the setting. They had connected with us on a completely different level than just shopping at the farmer's market. Yeah. So yeah, I don't notice that other class that you did with yoga on the farm. Is that, yeah. uh, was that just yoga or is that built in with something else? Well, um, we've done it both ways. And um, my mom's actually a yoga instructor. Okay. So um, we decided the very first year, you know, I thought like, oh, hippies, let's do flower crowns and yoga. And it kind of worked. <laughs> 
you know, um, they were there more for the yoga. And then we had a few people that stayed after and did the flower crowns. Um, but this year, since we have a you pick, we're actually going to do a sunrise. So we're oh. going to do uh, sunrise yoga. And then uh, we've done sunrise and sunset. And then we're going to do a you pick combined with that. So, um, yeah, so I'm hoping that'll be that'll be different. But the last couple of years, we've switched to just doing yoga on the farm and people really like it. We sell bouquets, you know, uh -huh. there. Um, and they just like being in the flowers and kind of in that, that quiet space. So. Mm, oh, you're giving me ideas. <laughs> um, yes. Like right now we're going to put the flowers is too close to the road, but next year we can move them. So it's like in the back part of the property. So they could basically do be really quiet back there. They can do the sunset yoga, sunrise yoga, and they can just look out on the field of flowers, which would be absolutely stunning. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's, it pulls in a lot of people and it's been good for my mom too. Um, yeah. you know, just to hit a different market and people to, um, you know, to expose her business to, which has been great. Okay. So that's one type of class. And how are you getting people to sign up for these? Are you running Facebook ads or are you just Instagram or is it through the farmer's market? Um, so it's our social, we use our social media, but we also have a pretty good, um, email following uh -huh. and, um, yeah, so we advertise, I always talk about them with every workshop we do and, uh, -huh. uh get, you know, people get hyped up for them. One thing that we do is limit the number of people just to kind of create that intimate experience. Uh -huh. We do a farm to table dinner and we limit it to about 22 people. And okay. it, I mean, it sells out in 10 minutes, both, yeah. you know, both very, very quickly. Um, cause people start, they know it's limited and, you know, we only keep it a small amount. Yeah. yeah. We, we share pictures and in, in our um, social media pages and talk about it, but we sell the tickets through our website and that usually goes out to our email subscribers first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's how you do that. Now you talk, you do the yoga and then you do what other kinds of classes do you do? Um, so we've done uh, design classes that so we do uh -huh. where they pick their own flowers and then they come in and learn how the basics of design, you know, arranging, um, we are getting ready to do a mommy and me workshop. So they're going to be making a flower crown. And then we hired a photographer to come in and take pictures of them. So the kids are going to have pictures and then the, the mom will be with them. Uh, we've done wine and canvas, uh -huh. um, workshops before, um, pumpkin, yeah pumpkin workshops where they carve pumpkins and then put florals in them. Uh, so the, um, the canvas, is they painting flowers? Yeah. Um, it's been, yeah, we do. Most of them have a floral element, but you know, sometimes they'll do like a fall. Okay. Um, yeah. So we just, I have somebody that comes in and those are great for us as you know, operating on the farm because they charge their own ticket price. And then I just pay them as a 1099 and um, we do all the ticket sales. So it's easy. They just show up. It's good exposure for their business. People buy our apparel and our flowers and um, get to be on the farm and do something other than just that. And it's a great night out for their, you know, for uh, we get husbands and wives that come together, group of girlfriends, bachelorette parties. So it's uh, uh -huh. really been a good, good part of our business. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me then about, so you've got the classes, what do you think the key elements of a good class experience for people is? I think giving them, um, you know, we've always had the educational piece. So when we run it, how we do pretty much every workshop, 
the little kids one, the little sprouts workshop yeah. is different because I, you know, I'm thinking their attention span is what 10 or 15 minutes to any material. The only yeah. the main difference was they love to introduce themselves. You know, I was like, do you guys want to go around and say their name? And they're all like, heck yeah. Um, whereas adults are like, don't even look at me. So um, that was interesting and fun, but um, yeah, just having an educational element, you know, I always give them a tour of the farm, which everybody loves. They like taking pictures and asking questions. Um, you know, so I think engaging with me and again, those smaller class sizes, because I think people come for the on-farm experience, but they also want to meet the employees. They want to talk to us and ask questions. Um, they really want to connect with the farmer, you know, and, and who, who they're, they're buying from. And then we always do a hands-on portion of the, of the workshop. Um, and then they're, they're creating something and they leave with something. So there's always giving them sort of that value, um, with that. And then we take photos and I always send a link, um, a, a gallery to them afterwards so that they can all share the, share the pictures. So. Absolutely. Because that is how you also derive more people coming for additional workshops is by those, those, the social proof pictures. Yep. Very cool. And what's the ideal size you find for the workshops? Um, we, the, um, Again, there's uh, the farm to table ones. We're in the 20 to 24 range. The okay. biggest, the, um, our biggest workshop we do is our wreath workshop. So mm-hmm. we have a Christmas business that we do. And um, those we typically run like 50 to 60, which is really full, but it's a very wow. systematic. So, but yeah. I would say on average, we have 30, 35. Okay. All right. Now, and, and what's your, what price points do you feel works? What's the range that you feel works? Yeah. So things? our, um, I, for our farm to table dinners, we run about 150 a ticket. Um, And they also, um, they aren't just getting a meal with that. They're also creating um, a centerpiece. So with that particular one, they come in, um, they get to make a centerpiece. um, You know, we have the flowers there for them. And then that's Uh what they put in front of them for the dinner. And then they get this amazing meal from a friend of mine um, that he's a chef in Coshocton area. And um, so, yeah, so they, it's a great value, I think, for an entire night out on that. Our design workshops, uh, strictly just design, they're in the 85 range. Okay. Um, so most of our, I would say our average ticket price is 75 to 95. Okay. All right. Yeah, that dinner sounds like an amazing deal because yeah. I know those centerpieces are, are big money themselves. So mm-hmm. they take that home and that's really cool. All right. So let's talk about your growing practices for the flowers. What kind of systems do you set up? Do you do a lot of, uh, you know, raised beds or you got grass pathways between, I don't see on your website, I don't see a lot of like actually specific like uh, field farming. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we have, uh, we have two high tunnels. We're getting ready to get a third um, this fall that we have. And both of those are 30 by 96 high tunnels that we grow in. Um, we used to grow with grass paths and our U-Pick actually still is just for, you know, having people on the farm and in comfort. Um, all of our production fields are, um, they are in typically they're four foot rows and they're about a hundred to 200 feet and uh, they are not, they are all, um, uh, pathways that, that are not mowed. So that everything's tilled in that regard. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. block more like field blocks. Yes. yes, exactly. Okay. And then what's your what equipment do you have? What, what's your equipment system? Um, we have, um, so that's one thing that we're actually working on this year with another, um, a couple of my 
farmer friends, flower farmer friends that are in Ohio, we're kind of looking at more of a mechanized. The only thing we really use with um, equipment right now, we have a BCS tiller and then we have a track about a tractor that we use to till up the fields. Okay. Um, but as far as seeding and planting, we do all of it by hand right now. I mean, I have an earthway seeder for direct seeding, um, yeah. but the, the actual planters the way we're set up with our rows we don't have a transplant or anything like that so it's all by hand all by labor do you use a lot of a landscape fabric um we do for the first three years on any bed um okay. and then after that i feel like we kind of get a handle on those weeds uh, we do use cover crop um every year on those you know so that's we're just trying to usually the first three years we're, we're working on that um, okay. Our dowel beds, we don't ever use fabric in, uh, and we don't use landscape fabric in our tunnels either. Okay. All right. So talk to me through that a little bit, because yep. that's obviously landscape fabric is something that's really easy, yep. um, but you don't use them on your dahlias. Is that because rodents or? No, I just, we didn't the first year and I, we're really good about, um, keeping up with the weeds. Cause I, I like our, I like our fields to be clean and presentable. Uh -huh. I think uh -huh. a pretty field is profitable and, you know, it, it really translates to the value yeah. of what we're providing back to our, to our um, customers. So we, we plant them um, on 12 inch spacing and okay. we get a handle on the weeds really early. And then by the time those dahlias kind of come up and fill in the beds, um, we don't have any real issues yeah. with that. I mean, once that, you know, that shades them out and we keep, you know, they kind of keeps them at bay. We do, um, wheel hoe on the road or we'll run like a little manis tiller to keep those pathways knocked down. But, um, yeah, I think it's just a little doing our, you know, keeping ahead of the weeds early in the season kind of just sets us up for the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so then, and now tuber production too, your tuber production, is that specific or is that just whatever's from your summer flowers? Um, say that you mean like as to what we sell? Yeah. Do you basically plant knowing that you're trying to grow more and more tubers? Yeah. Um, okay. So you're yeah, okay. So we, we, um, we've been, uh, we increased our, I started out in the beginning, like I wanted to grow, I was always growing those like fad dahlias, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that was hot. And then I, I finally, I was like, if it's fussy, I don't want to grow it. You know, if, if it's hard to get, I'm not interested. In it. Yeah. Um, just it's solely because, you know, we sell to retail mostly. So uh -huh. our customers love dahlias. They don't care if it's a cafe LA or uh -huh. cream, you know, so I didn't spend the effort to chase down these. We do grow those. We do have those. Um, yeah. But so my main goal over the last few years was I was spending thousands of dollars on tubers. And I thought uh -huh. I just want to get to the place that I'm sustained with my own, you know, and then if I want to buy, um, buy in some to get, you know, new colors or something, uh, then we'll do that. But mostly, um, you know, we, all of our tubers come from us from the previous year's production. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Now what's the fastest way to, you know, increase your tuber stock? I know we've been, we started some in the greenhouse, so we're going to be, you know, taking some cuttings from that is, um, is there any other ways you can do it? Can you take cuttings later in the season from shoots or is it pretty much just um, spring? It's pretty much just the spring because it takes a bit for them to get going and get that mm. up. What I, the biggest thing for me was I started making earth notes early on where what tubers um, produce the most, like terracotta is one, Cornell, Cornell bronze. They're one that I know one tuber at, we're planning in the spring. I'm going to get at least 10, you know, it's like, that's okay. like, I know that they're going to get, we're going to be productive. Yeah. 
And then we just started weeding out the ones that didn't overwinter well, um, that, you know, we loved the color, but you know, we got like scrappy little tubers that they didn't have eyes on them. So yeah. Uh, pink runners, another one that has massive, massive tubers on it. Um, so we just, that's, that's one way we just started kind of nitpicking what we were actually planting. So that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Very cool. Okay. So dahlias, and then in the tunnels you do, do not do any landscape fabric. It's all direct. It's all bare ground. Yep. Um, and what flowers do you grow in your tunnels? Um, so we have right now, they are filled with lots of our early season spring flowers. So we have ranunculus anemone, mm -hmm. um, and that fills one of the tunnels. This, the first tunnel, um, we have dianthus snapdragons, um, and those were all fall planted. So we've got the, we put those in probably August, September, and we overwintered them in there. Um, we will transition once that we have some spring, uh, we planted like Diantha or excuse me, um, Dusty Miller status and all of that starting to bloom now. So, yeah. um, and those overwintered flowers, when will they start producing? Uh, they're producing just now. That's when okay. they're, they're started. Yes. Yeah, so we just are starting to get the snaps. We've been cutting on the Dianthus for about three weeks and these are un unheated tunnels. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, we don't, uh, the snaps are blooming. Um, we overwintered rosemary, um, so yeah, that's kind of our, um, fever few will probably be on in about three weeks. And so we have that in there. Um, and then we'll tear that stuff out and we'll switch it over to, we have Lysianthus, you know, that we're filling in with. Yep. Uh, um, okay. So you mentioned something right there. Um, you're filling in. Does that mean like as, as you harvest some of these flowers, you're pulling them out and then just putting right in the same spots? Yep. Yeah. So we'll compost them down and that's just sort of, we try to get at least there's a handful of crops, right. That we can't do that with like dahlias, but we try yeah. to flip a bed, um, at least get two different crops in it throughout the season so that we're really kind of maximizing that space. And I think that's, um, definitely something I've learned over the last couple of years was, um, just more about succession planting and, um, really just as soon as something goes out, something goes back in. Yeah. Maximize that space. Yep. And then is that overhead irrigation or drip irrigation? Yeah, we okay. use drip in the tunnels. Um, we we use drip on dahlias, and then um, we are just switching over to. I used um, a farmer friendly. The farmer is it? Is that what it is? The farmer's friendly. Is that you know? What I'm talking about farmer's that? friend. Farmer's friend. Yes, that would be it. They had an overhead irrigation. Yes. Um, yeah. That we used last year, and we just had pressure issues. I think we had it reduced down too much. We were taking um, going from uh, garden hose to. Okay. Um, to a one inch line. And I think we were restricting it too much, but we're, we're switching that stuff over. We're going to a one and a one and a half inch line um, with overhead for our U-pick and the rest of our production fields. So okay. um, curious to see how that's going to go. Well, let's, let's talk through that for a second. So yeah. you are coming off a hydrant, I'm assuming like a frost yep. hydrant. Yep. Do you know what your well produces? Um, we have, we're on city water. Oh, um, city water. Yeah. Real city cheap. So you have plenty of pressure though from yeah. that. Okay. Cause that's some of the, okay. So you should have that. And then you went to a garden hose yep. and then you went to your header. Um, and how long was the, how long was the, uh, was it a hundred foot overhead? Yeah. And yeah. with this, with a space on three foot or five foot spacing for uh, yours. So that means you're running 21 sprinklers in there or 20 sprinklers in there. That, that, and then was that a three quarter inch header or a one inch header? 
one inch? It's yeah, it's gotta be the, it's gotta be the garden hose. That must be, yeah. the, that's the most restrictive part. I mean, yeah. we actually run off garden hose, but we're running about 70, 60 to 70 PSI uh, uh, whole system. The whole system's on 60 mm. to 70 PSI. So that can run through that. And it also depends on your garden hose because they make a five eighths garden hose and a three quarter garden hose. Okay. And that makes a big difference too. Okay. Um, but cheaper than a garden hose is just going to be one inch black PVC. So you give your hands on that. And, uh, or if you said a one and a half inch, if you're in one and a half inch now, you should be completely fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we actually, because I mean, we do a lot of irrigation and, um, one of the things we just experienced was we just set up some irrigation in our 200 foot tunnel and 50 foot of that tunnel is propagation and 150 foot is in ground. So we ran the 150 foot and I was like, I ran the numbers. And I was like, I can just get away with it. Mm-hmm. So we did it, but we could, we were basically like one irrigate head or one, one uh, sprinkler head over what we needed to be. So we just put in a little shutoff valves, shut off two of them. And we were able to run the hundred and like 45 feet at once. Um, but yeah, it comes, it comes back to, you know, just those little tiny tweaks when you're starting to push the edge there. Yeah. Of, and that's uh, been yeah. learning, trying to learn those things too. Um, I, I used Yoder's produce uh-huh. up there in, in Amish country and they've been great to, to help me. Um, a lot of reading, you know, just getting to understand what it is I'm even doing. Yes. <laughs> what I'm yes. looking at. So that's been, that's been, you know, one of those things, trial and error with that. But um, drip is, a pain. I, you know, drip's good for the tunnels, but it's, it's a pain for the fields and setting it up. And so. Well, and then you hit it with a tiller or you hit yep. it when you're broad forking. Um, <laughs> yep. We interplanted um, green garlic with our strawberries because um, well, strawberries are never a great dollar per square foot for us. So we were like, how can we, so we tried three different systems. We interplanted lettuce, which worked wonderfully. We interplanted green garlic, which yeah, worked okay. We interplanted um, southern yetter collard turnips, no, southern yetter cabbage collards, um, which were, again, incredibly productive. And I don't think they reduced the yield too much. But when we were harvesting the green garlic, we literally speared the drip tape like 9,000 times. And there was literally yeah. a geyser the entire row. So we had to figure that one out. But yeah, overhead's the best way to go if you can make it work. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Stuart. Dan is here. And Dan, talk to us about like when you guys are assessing a loan application, what are the things you're looking for? It's a pretty quick assessment. And I I think that's often a lot is lost in documents and paperwork. But at the end of the day, there's a few quick elements that we look for in a farm. First is, do they have an existing product? Are they producing something? Are they growing something? Have they shown that they have a product that they can reliably produce? Mm -hmm. The second is markets. Do they know where they're selling it? Are they selling the product? Have they shown that there's a price point they can sell it at? Have they shown that there's opportunity for them to sell more, expand the market? Again, doesn't have to be a huge amount of sales or a huge market, but that they've validated they can produce something and that they have a place to sell it. And the third for us is their agricultural skill. Um, Experience is part of it, but we work with a lot of farmers who are one or two years in, but do they know how to grow have they spent the time to learn agriculture? Are they not going too big, too fast, too soon? Because if they can grow something and they can sell it in the market, ultimately, particularly direct sales, they can have decent revenue to support themselves. Generally, when we're funding these farms, we're boosting their growth. So if they already have a product they're growing, more irrigation is going to let them grow more of it, more hoop houses are going to grow more of it. If they already have a market they're selling at, more volume, they're going to have more sales. 
and then the, the skill of being a farmer that that one we can't you know yeah the funding doesn't change that that one's our, our we have an in-house team member who's a farmer himself who does phone calls and chats and you know he's assessing okay does this is this person ready to take that step to borrow funds and to grow and uh, but we'll see an application and you know within a 30 seconds to a minute we can mm-hmm. do a quick assessment um, one other thing we look for, I think most lenders, it's not as important, but the, their online presence. Mm-hmm. Because so much of being able to sell products as a farmer today is telling a story and, and showcasing what products you have. And if you don't have a digital presence, it's hard for people to find you. The farmer's market obviously is one location, but I think there's a certain kind of branding and narrative and, and social and online presence that that helps build confidence, that helps drive traffic and that can be simple to set up but we find that those are the farmers that are kind of they're really telling their story they're really building a direct customer base that's resilient and as they grow and produce more they can sell more and and that's the virtuous cycle that we're looking for awesome okay so uh that's your field systems what are you using for fertility um, we, so we are we grow organically we're not certified organic mm-hmm. but um fertility so we use um uh, right now we're using a, um, carbon based, uh, compost that we're trying out of Pennsylvania. So, um, that's something new that we're trialing in the tunnels, but we use a lot for, um, a foliar feed with a fish fertilizer. That's, you know, that's for most stuff. That's what we're using. Um, it's just basic fish fertilizer. Um, and then just depending on what the crop is, we do use with our dahlias, um, a pelletized, uh, chicken fertilizer, um, that we kind of spread over and it, we, we tweak that based off of, um, you know, soil testing results yeah. like that. But, um, and we do try to crop root, you know, we're rotating our crop down yeah. too on those, especially with dahlias. So that's interesting. You said that on dahlias, because there's a lot of different conflicting information out there, how much nitrogen or how many pounds per acre do you tend to put down the, the, the chicken fertilizer for your dahlias? Um, gosh, I should know that off the top of my head. Um, we, I'm using whatever the recommended on that bag is. Um, okay. I'd have to get, I'll, I can shoot you an email to get. Yeah. I'm sure it's like a, a five, three, four or three, four, three or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just using the recommended on the back of that. Yeah. We're just using the recommended on that. And we did, um, we're actually getting ready to this year, um, work directly with, uh, Yoders to, with our soil testing to kind of blend us something specific to our dahlia bed. Okay. Um, just because I want to really focus on, that's an area that we want to grow is our tuber production um, to, you know, to increase those sales. And so, um, yeah, that's one of the things we're, we're working on is specific to that um, this year. So I can, I can circle back to you once we. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I didn't know that Yoder did custom mixing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, very interesting. Yeah. I've actually got an order right place today with them. So, yep. um, okay, very cool. All right. So we covered that in the irrigation, having that a city water, gosh, that's nice. Um, I, I, I just, yeah, other than struggling with anything they pump into that, that's the only thing you yeah. might have a trouble with. Um, uh, one of the and reasons. And paying the bill. And paying yes. the bill. <laughs> yes. So I know that actually some places they will give like a farm hookup rate or mm. like a, a flat rate. So it really depends. We, if we were to hook up, we have to pay water and sewer. So they hit you double, even though you're not using the sewer at all. Um, and then at our farm, because we're an urban farm, we're an eight acre urban farm, we were able to avoid them making us hook up because we claimed that their water would harm our plants, which it probably on one aspect will. Um, so they were able, they didn't make us because technically if you do any development in our city, you're supposed to hook up to their municipality water. Okay. 
So that was, um, yeah, that was a little contentious, but um, the development seemed to be pretty okay with that because we're a very farm-based usage. So um, talk to us a little bit about the business side. So obviously we mentioned, we kind of talked about the beginning, you know, the business boutique book was super important as you kind of grew and uh, separating those finances. What other aspects really have driven your growth in the business? Um, I think the biggest thing in the last couple of years that um, has allowed our business to kind of grow and scale is me um, letting go and turning Mm -hmm. things over. And uh, I think I initially, I recognized a few years ago that I was the limiting factor in this business Mm -hmm. growing. And, um, you know, it was requiring me to turn um, things that I felt like were super important, you know, like I wanted to have my hand on every bouquet that we sent out. Well, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's impossible, you know? So, um, so I started turning things over to employees and, uh, you know, trusting them to do things and, and pushing more responsibility on them. So I think that has been probably the biggest uh, thing that I've learned in the last few years is just letting, letting go and doing less um, mm-hmm. in, with, with regards to the farming side, you know, yes. out there in it and more just having that like CEO, like want to run my business mindset. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Have you read the traction book? No. I definitely recommend. I'll shoot you an email or, um, yeah, Traction by Gino Wick- Wickman, I think is the name. Okay. Yeah, you'll really enjoy that. It's it's about that aspect of, you know, building the team, you know, really putting out the systems and the processes and uh, how the team is set up. So, yeah. All right. So let's talk through how big is your team? Um, so we have five right now. Okay. Uh, we have five employees. Uh, we have a um, greenhouse and field manager. And her job responsibilities are basically anything that grows on this plant or, you know, on the farm for her to keep an eye on. So we have one of the systems we have in place is uh, we use Google Sheets and we have a daily weekly task list that everybody has access to. Everybody has their own tab. It's a really good communication tool for us that we um, are constantly sort of adding to. Um, You know, I like to do my like Sunday walk around and kind of gather for the week and get everybody together. Um, and then add to that task list. So, you know, the, our greenhouse and field manager, she's looking through, she's adding to that. And then uh-huh. under her, we have field assistants and they do everything from um, harvesting, you know, weeding, some of them run markets and you pick. Um, and then I have an operations manager, which is, um, you know, she's kind of my right hand. She does all of those things, but she also helps me um, emails and, and customer service things and stuff that I, you know, need, need follow up on and help with. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So then, okay. So you have the field manager and the greenhouse manager. Now, do you start all your plugs? I know you're probably buying in, let's say things like lithiansis, that sort of yep. thing. Yep. We, um, we grow those, um, we go everything from seed. We grow everything from seed. Oh, wow. uh, and, Lysianthus, no way. I don't have the patience. There's a lot of ways to kill those 16 <laughs> weeks. There's fine. I love the farmers out there that say, you know, they grow them. I'm like, bless you. I don't <laughs> bless your heart. <laughs> yeah. I know. Farmer Bailey is getting my business. Um, so yeah. yeah, no, we grow those in. Um, we do a, a few things. Eucalyptus is another one that I just quit messing with because okay. we grow it. We, so we order the plugs in from there. Um, I'm trying to think what else we do. I'm trying asters this year. I always like to just try something new. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, we'd start everything on the farm, um, you know, down in our shop and then we, uh, transplant it out. Uh, we do some direct seeding cosmos, you know, z- zinnias, amaranthus, 
um, stuff is pretty easy. We direct seed. Okay. So talk to me about that. When you direct seed with the earthway yep. and then which seed plate do you use for, let's say, zinnias? Is that maybe the carrot plate? Yep. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Some... A lot of the smaller stuff. Celosia is another one that we just started direct seeding. Um, uh, I really try to push it on um, okay. getting those out. Uh, Forget me nots is another mm -hmm. one we direct seed. Some of them we will, we'll still mess with and do them by hand. Um, if we're just doing like a small patch, but most of it's, we use the lettuce plate on a lot of stuff. So, um, mm -hmm. Florum is one, a lot of that early season stuff, bachelor's buttons, all of that. So. Okay. Very interesting. And then sunflowers. Yeah. Um, sunflowers, we actually use the zipper. Okay. Yeah. So, um, we haven't the, we have not done them with the, um, the earthway that we're going to this year. We're going to try yeah. trial those. Um, but yeah, we've used the zipper and then somebody just goes along and they're sort of like sprinkling them back in. We have really sandy soil. We actually live off of sand Hill. Okay. All right. <laughs> so we, uh, you know, it comes with its challenges, keeping it, um, uh, the nutrients in the soil and then also keeping it watered, but it's also super easy to plant. And um, so I try to not complain when we're digging, you know, thousands of dahlias. I'm like, this could be a lot harder if we were in clay. Um, yes. Yes. But yes. yeah, so we um, sunflowers, we direct seed those. And then we just started last year actually using frost fabric over them. So they're, they've a lot of pressure to birds and small animals. So um, we would direct seed them and then we cover it. And then as yep. soon as they pop, we just pull that, um, uh, fabric back off. And we had a lot of success with that. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's been very interesting. Yeah. We started using a paper pot for our sunflowers <laughs> and we've been super happy. I mean, you want to put them out maybe at day 10 or day seven because they're, they pop right up and then you want to get them out. So we've technically got some sitting in the greenhouse, which need to go out today, but it's too wet. Um, so are you doing single stem um, or yeah, single stem? stem. Yeah. yeah. And then we're doing that in a six inch pot, which I bet I could do to a four inch um, and be fine with that because we're doing the rows are pretty far apart, but um, yeah, that's, that's going to be working. That's super easy. Cause literally it's, it's, we're trying to do more and more paper pots. We're trying to run a very lean crew here mm -hmm. and just be able to, and we're good at cultivation. We've got a, a brand new farm that's been a good cover crop. And uh, so we, we don't have a huge weed pressure so we can get away with a lot of direct seeded. Um, yeah, with cultivation, so very cool. All right, so we've got the, I'm trying to think there's anything else here that we wanted to, so the business side, hiring people. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. It sounds like you have a rock star team. Yeah. All right, so how do you hire those people? Oh man, we, um, interesting is this year, um, I've had several of them that have been with me since the very first year. And I, I think it is just, you know, I don't know if I'm just lucky, <laughs> but okay. they work hard. Um, I think we have a really good team environment. I think that's the, the key for being here. You know, we work really, really hard, but when you come here at the end of the day, even if we, I've been making them pressure wash cow manure out of the barn to make yeah. it look workshop ready, they're, ha they're laughing and they're happy. And I think that's like, you know, that to me is, I think what creates like a good team environment and, um, and keeps people coming back. And for the hiring this year, we actually just hired, um, two this okay. year. It, it was specific positions. They're very, very, very part-time, you know, I'm talking like 10 to 12 hours a week of running markets and things like that. Um, because I really wanted to give the girls who work for me full-time a break. Um, mm -hmm. so that was kind of intentional with that. And then I turned it over this year to a uh, one of the girls who works for me, um, 
you know, I, I got all these applications that came in and this was really difficult for me to let it go. Yeah. Like I trusted that, you know, they worked for me for this many years. They kind of know what it's like to be a part of our team and um, what it takes. And so she did fantastic. She narrowed it down, um, got a few applicants for me to interview um, and we made two great hires. So um, yeah, so that's, we advertised on Facebook was where we posted our job. Okay. Um, and so I also, did you go to your existing customer base too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did. And we posted it. And I actually I had a friend message me and say, geez, you made that real appealing because I, I put it out there and said like, Hey, I know we have pretty pictures, but this is what it takes to get those pretty pictures. Um, yeah. Cause I think, you know, it is intentional for me when I initially set up the farm is that, you know, I wanted to set my page up um, and my social pages and my email to market to my customer, not to other farmers. Absolutely. So when you asked about the production field and not seeing a ton of those photos, yeah, it's kind of because that is what it's directed to. And, and they want to know about the landscape side. You know, they want to learn like, do I need to cover my paintings up tonight when it froth after Mother's Day? Um, yes. You know, so that's sort of, um, but yeah, so I put this post out there and said, hey, we'd love for you to work for us, but it's going to suck. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a, that's great. I think that's the number one mistake that farmers make with their social media is they say, I want to show my farmer friends what I'm doing. And no, 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 no. Yeah. You need to show your customers what it takes to produce their food and why they should be paying the prices they are for your food. Yeah. Um, and I, I know some farms like the Kitchen Garden Farm in Massachusetts, which I need to get them on the podcast. They have very intentional accounts for each of the farmers has their own account for showing farm stuff. And then the farm has an account, which is just for customers. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. So I mean, it's a lot, three counts to keep track of. That's crazy, but yeah, <laughs> that that's very intentional and it's, it's made a, a world of difference for them and their business exploding, you know, every year they increase in getting bigger and bigger yeah. and it's because they know their marketing. Yeah. And I keep my story open to that, you know, so mm-hmm. like my, my story will use for like on farm, like, Hey, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, we're soaked in the rain and we're planning dahlias today, you know, so they get to see it. Um, yeah. but then it's more of like a curated intentional, um, you know, and I, and I try to not really focus on selling to them either. You know, I really try to just make that connection with the customer. Um, yeah. to, to me, that's, that's why they're buying from us anyway, um, versus, you know, me pushing and selling at them constantly. So. Uh-huh, uh-huh, absolutely. So what are your, what's the future hold? I know you talked about your kid classes. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I, the, for the future, um, right now we're really kind of looking at next year, what we can do less, what less we can do of, if that makes sense. We're, you know, uh-huh. when I said in the beginning about, um, I took money from anybody that would take my flowers. Yes. Now it's like, okay, so where do we want to take this and where do we want to grow and, you know, kind of hone in that focus. Um, cause you know, when I talk about the farm, I'm like, oh, we do workshops. I have a CSA. We do a pick. Um, you can buy DIY flowers from us. We do weddings. And so we're starting to chop that stuff down and take things away and really kind of get more intentional about that. Um, and the workshop series is one of those places that we want to continue to grow. Um, I'd like to see it take more of an online platform uh-huh. um, where we could reach not just the community, our local community, but, um, you know, have more of those educational classes. Because, uh-huh. um, I, you know, I love nothing more than when people leave like, oh, you know, they think they have a, a brown thumb, but they leave and they're super excited about what they just did and what they created. And they uh-huh. love telling me that the Dahlia tubers they bought for me are beautiful. Um, you know, kind of build that confidence with people. So the little sprout series 
we'll continue to kind of um, build that curriculum over the next year. Um, and then our, our plan is to release a, um, like a summer series, almost like a little camp for kids. Okay. Um, at next year is what our goal is. So um, I like to kind of have some thought to planning that out and get the curriculum ready before we, you know, fired off. We actually are going to do an adult gardening series as well. Okay. Um, we'll probably work some with our local extension. Um, we do a really um, great container gardening workshop in mm -hmm. the spring that um, we have about 100 to 150 people attend it. They just, they just want to get a little bit of education, um, get their hands in the dirt and make something pretty. And so we kind of want to build off of that excitement for people. It's a low price point class. Um, they're only paying $20, you know, it's $20 ahead for, for my time. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's nothing. It is only my time It's about an hour and a half. And then they buy the plants from a local greenhouse. So we just want to kind of build on that, have more of a, a solid. Yeah. Series. Um, and then also with, um, moms at home doing uh, homeschooling. We, we've been working on lessons plans with the blog, you know, to try uh -huh. to give them some, some ways to connect with kids. And so. very cool. So like in that container gardening, what do you do? What kind of plants do they put in that container garden? So they're doing annual, some of them, uh, they'll plant, uh, you know, million bells, petunias, uh -huh. geraniums, like those sort of things. But we also talk about um, the elements of container gardening. So it kind of gets some of them interested uh, in vegetable growing, you know, okay. so we yeah. do like a whole, um, we talk about soils and, um, you know, what they need to kind of keep that going and living and then give them ideas for what else they can do in containers. So uh, like a salsa garden, you know, they might yes. have a, a, an onion and a tomato and, and talk about the size that they need or a lettuce garden or an herb garden. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that they're doing that. And a lot of them, some of them, it's the first time they've ever done it. Some of them, I mean, they could come up there and teach the class with me. They've been doing it for eight years. And I'm thinking, why are these people still paying this course? You know, paying yeah, this yeah. they come every year. So, yeah. But I think it's the community that you've created. And they just enjoy being a part of the that aspect, coming out to the farm, experiencing yeah. it, and just seeing you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I feel pretty lucky with that. So, Very cool. Um, yeah, well, I look forward to seeing how your farm grows over the couple of years. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? No, I, um, I just appreciate you having me on here and the opportunity to kind of, um, share about our farm and, and what we're doing down here on the higher river. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Cause you guys aren't in a huge city. No, no, we're, um, we're two hours. Um, if you call Charleston, West Virginia, a big city, we're an hour and a half from it, but everywhere else we're, uh, we're two hours from Columbus, two and a half yeah. hours from Pittsburgh, um, two and a half to Cleveland. Yeah. So we're in a pretty small town. Um, we do have a, um, a college here, mm -hmm. but, um, pretty, yeah, pretty, um, ag farming, um, community. So we've got a, a great following. We get, um, we're, we've just branched up to the Cambridge area. So right there at the 77 yeah. intersection. Yeah. So we, um, we're just selling at their market now this year too. So that's been a, um, that's been a learning experience too. So. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming out. I appreciate your time. And again, look forward to watching you grow and all the cool flowers on your Instagram. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Hey, Thriving Farmers. Have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for 
all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.